at myself and was like, what am I doing? What environment am I creating to hold her back? And if I'm holding Anna back, then who else am I holding back? My biggest want for anybody who works here is for them to lead and be independent and make their own decisions and create their own rules and break their own rules. And it made me realize that what I was really doing was kind of creating an environment where that wasn't happening as much as I wanted it to. Welcome to Open, Honest, and Direct, a podcast sharing stories from powerful leaders on what it takes to unlock your team's potential. Each episode will take a behind the scenes look at how to build a high performing team from the leaders who built them. Today, we're lucky to have not one, but two awesome guests. Yvonne Lingat-Zeman, the founder and CEO of Monarch, a creative merchandising agency based in Chicago and Denver, and her business partner, best friend, and COO, Anna Wynn. In today's episode, we get a unique view at a business and how it's growing and scaling from two of the partners' different perspectives. We learn about the realities of working with your best friend, the trials that come along with negotiating a partner agreement with that best friend, and how to lead and scale a company where half your team works on the other side of the country. I think you're going to enjoy the honesty, the truth, and the reality that each of them share in today's conversation. Enjoy. Yvonne and Anna, welcome. It's a blast to have you here and to finally have this time to do a podcast together. I want to give the audience a little note. Unlike a lot of the people we've interviewed so far, I actually know Yvonne and Anna quite well. They've been clients and we've worked together for the past almost two years, but we'll have this conversation just like we have all the others. And thank you for coming on. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. So Yvonne, we'll start with you because When you started the company in 2009, more than 10 years ago, I learned that it was not your only gig at the time. Were you also bartending? Is that true? I was, yes. As a 25-year-old, I had multiple jobs. When I started Monarch, I quit those other jobs and held on to bartending because I was able to do that at times where I didn't need to work at nine to five. So my schedule was I would get up in the morning, work Monarch all day, and then I would bartend at night until two or three in the morning and then get up and do it all over again. Uh, Give me the hours again. You'd wake up at what time? (laughs) Two or three in the morning, huh? Yeah, so I'd wake up at 8 a.m., work Monarch until five or six, and then go in to bartend at night. As you know, bars close anywhere from two to 3 a.m. I didn't work every night, but I did do that, I would say four or five times a week. Uh, How long were you able to keep that going for? I did that until I was 27, 27 or 28. So about two years into the business, but I had been doing that back in college. I started bartending when I was, I think, 19. And then I continued to do that just as something that allowed me to pay the bills and also meet people. I actually got Monarch's biggest client through bartending and networking. Okay. So tell me about this. How did you convert a client at a bar at 11 o'clock at night into your biggest client? It was a coworker who was also working two jobs. And she was working at an ad agency in Chicago. When I heard this, my eyes lit up because when I was in Denver working in the promotional products industry, which is what Monarch is in, my biggest client or first client I really had and dove into was also an agency. And so she was speaking my language. And so when she had said that she worked at an agency, I jumped on it and I said, well, we work with agencies. And she was like, oh, you know, I should use you sometime. And then 
the opportunity came up, she had a sidewalk sign that she needed made within 48 hours. It was for a Lego event. And I remember not even knowing, she asked for like an A-frame sign. I didn't even know what an A-frame sign was. And I said, yeah, of course I can do it. And I found somebody in their garage in Evanston, this woman, to make an A-frame sign within 24 to 48 hours, dropped it off at the agency. And then from there, she referred me within the agency to different clients they had. And from there, we grew it. I say we, it was me at the time. I grew it into about 70 contacts in Chicago. And then we got referred to their New York office, which had about... I think 30 employees and they had just expanded to California and they had about 10 employees there. So we grew exponentially with that client. Oh, wow. That's so neat. And so you just kind of like took the chance and asked for what you wanted there. And what I'm wondering is you said it was just you. How long was it just you before you started to scale and grow the business and bring on help and, and eventually bring on your partner and Anna? So the milestones were 2009 to 2011. In 2011, I had enough money to pay someone's salary. I had it in savings. And so I thought I needed an employee because I had the money to do so, which wasn't true. In 2011, we had our first employee, which was very short-lived, I think like six weeks. From there, it's kind of a blur, but I remember there were ups and downs I had a few employees that actually had stayed for a few years. I wasn't super happy in that time. I think other things were going on, just wasn't really sure how to scale a business. One thing that I'm really good at is creating, and then I can get it to a point where somebody else needs to take it over before I destroy it. <laughs> and so that person's Anna. So in 2016, so it's quite a while, Anna, and I'll, I'll let her tell her story, but she had an interesting path and ultimately decided that she wanted to work with me, which was something I was asking her to do since 2009. And so when she hinted at the idea that that was something she wanted, we got together, figured out the logistics of it, and I came on board in 2016. So it took you seven years to woo your partner into the business? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What took you so long, Anna? <laughs> As Yvonne mentioned, I kind of took a little bit of a different path. So we started out in the same company together, Yvonne. She lived there for about nine months and we became really close through the years. And we were closer and farther apart and closer, but we stayed in contact and remained very close. And, you know, when I say close, I like to tell people she was the maid of honor in my wedding <laughs> and we were best friends. And so I wanted to make sure that I wanted to stay in the promotional products industry. And I wasn't totally sure that that's what I wanted to do because I stayed at my first job for about five years and then took an opportunity and that was at a promotional products company. And then I took an opportunity to help somebody jumpstart a company from the ground up. Ultimately, I decided that that wasn't the right fit for me. Just the, the values of where the company was going was not in line with what I enjoyed doing on a daily basis. And so I jumped outside of the industry. Actually, to, a client had made an offer for me to work with them after I left the agency. And when I got there, I stayed there for about two years and I realized I really, really missed the industry. And that was the night I called Yvonne. And I remember before I could even get my big speech I had prepared out, she cut me off and was like, all right, yes, when, when can you start? Let's do this. I really wanted to make sure that it was the industry that I wanted to be in. I knew that Yvonne was the person I wanted to work with. I wanted to be sure before, you know, our friendship kind of came into play potentially. So that's what took so long, but I can definitely say it's been the best career move so far. Working with your best friend. How does that, I mean... You, it's always dangerous working with friends or family. And I know working with my brother was something that was hard to do, but also really, really awesome and fulfilling and valuable. How has it been having your best friend be your business partner? 
For me, I think it's been amazing. You know, there's some days where I pinch myself and I think we're so lucky that we're so close and we've been able to communicate so well. We've also had some really rough and rocky times, some of which you've witnessed, Erin. <laughs> I think that one of the keys that we've discovered along the way has been kind of prefacing our conversations. So whether that's I'm looking to brainstorm or I'm in the weeds, I really need help or you know, I'm pushing the other person. What do you need for me? How can I be here for you has really helped us communicate well on a daily basis and make sure that we kind of stay on track. I'd love, yeah, I'd love to hear your perspective, Yvonne, too. Yeah, from my perspective, I like it because I think we're defying a lot of, you know, something that a lot of people don't think is possible, which is always fun to me to kind of challenge the average or the ordinary. You know, like Anna said, it's been really rewarding and in a lot of ways, it's been really hard. And by hard, I mean, it's those moments where it's almost like life altering. It's like those moments where you're like growing so much in that moment that you can't help but like break down because this other person who has devoted like their life and their time with you is like not going to leave. So the tough part is that neither of us are going away. And I think it's hard about that is that we hold each other accountable to being our best selves, which is really difficult because it takes practice. Our relationship is like we're married or she's my sister. And so I think that even in my wildest imagination of something maybe not working out, I think to Anna's point, like our friendship comes first. From my perspective, I can build another business, but I can't really build like another friendship with Anna. So for me, I think as long as I remember that that's my priority and that comes first, it kind of makes everything else somewhat easy. <laughs> it sounds simple, right? The priority is, is the friendship. I know as you get stressed and things happen and that might not seem as clear. Has it always been so clear for the two of you? And I can remember there was one time where we were talking about Anna's partnership agreement and there was like a moment of like, fuck, are we cool? Are we okay? It's just like two people being friends because it got so off track so quickly, so emotionally. And one thing that I can say looking back is that I don't think either of us, even in the times of stress, have ever disrespected each other to the point of not being able to come back from it. And so I think, you know, I've said things that I haven't necessarily meant, but as long as I'm open and honest about those things and can face the fact that, you know, maybe I messed up in where my head was at or what I had said, and I was like, forgiven me. It's not always clear, but we have people like you, Erin, to remind us <laughs> <laughs> on a weekly basis of, you know, what's important because other stuff gets in the way. Yeah. And, and I'd love either of you to just elaborate a little bit more on this. And the reason I ask is because the people listening who are leading teams or building businesses and create these business ideas in your head with your friends or out you know, at a bar or uh, just talking over, over coffee. And then you say, oh, let's try it together. Or you realize you need to bring a partner in and the people that are close to you are those people that you think about partnering with. And you know, there's something to what you both have done that's quite interesting here. And I'd love to hear just a little bit more about what went wrong in that partnership process? And then what did you learn from it? I think that for me, one thing we talked about when it was all said and done is that I think things started getting off track from day one in terms of we kind of always knew that this was an eventual goal of mine and it was possibly an eventual goal of Yvonne's. 
one thing we didn't do was have the tough conversations right away. I think we danced around the idea of what we both thought that this could be or might be someday. And it was never very specific. It was just, there's maybe a partnership, there's maybe ownership, there might be, you know, there were different phrases and terms thrown around that meant different things to both of us. And we never articulated those. And I think for quite a while, while we shared so much of our lives with each other, work and personal, we danced around this one topic. And so when it actually came to head and we had the conversation, there were so many emotions that went into it because there was two years of us assuming without talking. And so when it came to head, we also had lawyers and accountants in both of our years. And while the advice was invaluable, of course, it- it, The the same lawyers and accountants or separate lawyers and accountants? Separate, yeah. So I think we were both being fed different information. I think both of us started to veer off track and we forgot what we were trying to do and what we were trying to accomplish, which is to work with each other and to be in a partnership of some form and to support each other on a daily basis. And we, we just forgot what we were trying to do. I remember getting completely off track and Aaron, I remember you having me visualize what it might be <laughs> to not work together. And I was like, I don't want to do that. And you're like, well, you, you have to, you have to accept that it could be a reality. Once I did that, I was kind of able to realize like, oh, this is a possibility. And this is something I want to push past. And how can we get back? How can we get back to where we were? And, and I think once we, Yvonne, do you, do you remember how we kind of got back on track? Yeah, I remember it was after actually a conversation with Aaron. For me, it was the realization of what I was going after, which was the uncertainty of the situation. And what you were going after was like the complete opposite of like needing certainty. And then I think just being naturally black and white people, I think it was hard for both of us to understand how it wasn't either or. The moment that I got back on track, like screw all this noise what do we want to do, which did take the support of Aaron. Once we got to a place of what do you really want? What do I really want? And then us knowing that we can make this a win-win because I went into the situation, not understanding that that was possible and being closed off to that. You know, I actually think it was good that we hit almost like rock bottom because everything else after that felt great. (laughs) (laughs) I think that the best thing you can do is ask questions and also the other person being asked the questions, being open to being asked questions. I think that if you're ready to have a conversation with somebody that's at high stakes in your company to set the tone of the meeting with agreements, which is something that I know Anna has recently been doing and has been paying off for her too within our teams. But, you know, kind of saying like, these are the agreements in which we have for this conversation. Here's what we are both going to commit to. And this is how we're both going to show up. Because I think what that does is if someone gets off track, it's a really easy way to say, I'm going to pause because I'm personally not living into this agreement. Or I notice that you're not living into this agreement. Do you notice that as well? And then it kind of allows you to like refocus, recenter, and then continue on the conversation. Because this is like a heated conversation to be talking about sharing ownership of your company once you've had it for, you know, at that point, like seven or eight years. For the people listening, I think establishing 
the framework or the ground rules for the conversation you want to have, not predicting the conversation you're going to have, but just how you're going to show up and then just get really curious when someone says something, ask for clarity, ask for context. And then it allows you to discover and not make decisions on the spot with something that's such high impact and then continue to have those conversations. So that was one thing too that Anna and I started doing was and trying to get used to was like, okay, let's just talk about it, but it doesn't mean that we're like committing to this right now. So I think it allowed us to be like a more playful and more creative with those conversations. Hmm. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's like, hey, we came to the table. We want to get to a decision. But what you're saying is sit in the messiness of it and just explore what's possible there. Mm-hmm. You might uncover that something's important to the other person that you didn't realize or something's important to you that you didn't realize and you want to put it out there and see how that person responds to that. What about you? What's your piece of advice, Anna? As Yvonne was talking, we were talking about the need for certainty and my need for certainty and her need for having, you know, freedom of choice and for having uncertainty. I think that one thing we also did was we held on to, or at least I did, held on to conversations that we had had maybe a year, two years back and were really, really being black and white with those and holding each other to those conversations. And so I think to add to what you and Yvonne both mentioned, the messiness, to not only be curious in the moment, but to also let go of conversations or biases or bringing in other things that are not productive to where you're going. How do you do that? (laughs) (laughs) It's actually being open, not tricking yourself into thinking that you're being open. It's actually being open to what's possible. And like Yvonne said, getting curious the exercise for me that was most helpful was when Yvonne literally said, fuck everything else we've been talking about. What's important to us? What's important right here? And I remember at that moment, I actually let go of everything. And I thought, what do I actually want? I started a new notebook and wrote it down and Yvonne did the same thing. And then the conversation before that and the conversation after that were just night and day. And so I think it's, you know, the practice of truly being open and pushing yourself to see what's possible because the second you're able to do that, you're able to start letting go. This is just really, really valuable. And I think there's like another layer that we haven't talked about to all this besides for you being best friends um, and like sisters who work together, have grown and scaled a business that's been around for over a decade now. You're doing it in two different states not close states, not like a two hour drive from Chicago to Indiana states. Anna, you're in Denver and Yvonne, you're in Chicago. Have you been able to grow and scale the business in this remote dispersed way? You know, the only type of communication that we have from team member to team member that isn't via face-to-face is over Slack. We're moving to try and see if that's possible to eliminate as a tool to move us to one system. But I think one thing has been video conversations and making sure that that's how we're communicating. This kind of gets past the scaling part, which Yvonne, I can let you speak to. But I think, you know, currently how we're communicating is opening meetings with why we're proud of each other and really truly connecting and taking time to connect and appreciate each other as a team has been something really valuable for us. And I know that almost every team member that's been with us, whether they've ended up moving on to go somewhere else or they've stayed with us, has mentioned that the things that we've put in place have never really 
made it feel like we have two offices. And I think video is a huge contribution to that. And I know that's a, a pretty simple answer, but I really think it, it has been a huge key for us. It's a hard one for me because it's the one decision that we made early on that I still sometimes question because when I am there or Anna is here, it is different mm -hmm. and we have different conversations and I think we move the dial in a different way. So I think that we've made it work because we're constantly talking. I mean, to the point where I think at one point Anna had requested to like not talk about business on the weekends. And then we also don't talk about it before work during our mornings, because it's one thing that we have in common that we love. And so typically when we talk, it's about that. And then we also created our weekly leadership team meetings, which we have every Friday for an hour and a half with an agenda that allows us to really connect. Because, you know, at this point, Anna and I don't really see each other too often during the week, unless we're in like company-wide meetings or if one of us has a quick question, but we don't typically work together on a day-to-day -day basis that often anymore. But one additional thing I was going to add was that we're looking to invest in remote trainings. And so Anna has done a great job of creating a program. It's still in the works for when new employees come on and what that first 30, 60, 90 days looks like. And then also what that transition looks like to the account team. And one thing that she suggested was during critical moments of the training where it really matters for someone to be physically with her, if they're in Chicago, for us to send them to Colorado for a week or two to get that training. So that's another way, I think, that we're trying to integrate new employees into both offices. And then we also do our yearly retreats. Last year we did it in Colorado and this year I think we're going to do it in Chicago and then hopefully neither Anna and I are pregnant next year, then we can go somewhere tropical. And Yvonne, you mentioned pregnant and I know you have your little one, Wes, and how are you guys as a group and as a team and as a small company that's growing and scaling able to manage with maternity leave? Like how did you figure that out? How did you make it work? I think we just kind of rolled the dice a little bit. So <laughs> luckily um, it was one of us that was first to get pregnant. And I think we just kind of said like, what would work for you? And Anna said three months. And so that's what we did. So she took off for like three and a half months. Obviously we know that we have to offer that to every employee. And so that worked for us the first time. So that's what we're going to continue to do until it doesn't work. And then we'll probably reevaluate and do something different. Each of you do so much of the business in the company. How did you survive without your partner or Anna, without you being as a part of the business for three whole months? As Yvonne mentioned, we rolled the dice. We were, you know, optimistic and we were all committed into how we're going to make this work. And so, you know, my position is focused on the operations of the company. So a little bit more internal, which was definitely helpful, especially for the first time around. But looking at everything, as far as the preparation that we did as a company, looking at everything I do, delegating smaller pieces to each person in the company. And, you know, a lot of those pieces that were delegated are now a growth point responsibility of other people in the company. So I think, you know, not only were, were we able to accomplish it, I also think that it helped push us forward as a company. I think a few things happened. One was that I wasn't always readily available. So Yvonne was pushed to make certain decisions, which I think we were used to making together for the past couple of years. And I think, you know, as Yvonne's going to be taking maternity leave next year, I think that's going to be also a big growth point in my leadership journey, as well as the rest of the team. So 
I think we prepared by delegating and making sure that we were, you know, clear with expectations and providing resources, but then also being really strategic about what we delegated and making sure that it was something, and you can't in all cases, but in many that was going to potentially be an opportunity to push another team member in an area of growth. So I think I get to say that because I was on the maternity leave side and, you know, I know that everybody worked so hard to push through that through commitment and planning and that we were able to get through it and come out stronger. Yvonne, was that kind of how you saw it? I thought it was a really big growth point. I felt it in a really positive way. Not that I didn't want Anna to be there on a day-to-day basis, but it did force me to make decisions. So it built my confidence in that way. And then at the end, it did get exhausting. I do remember when Anna came back, I was really irritated and I had kind of lost a little bit of, you know, my commitment to how I want to show up every day after three and a half months. And so I was put into a position that wasn't necessarily my strength, but I have to do that because the business has to survive. I thought that it was cool to be able to see ways in which I was able to push myself on my own. My biggest takeaway from it was when Anna came back, Anna had said to me, when you go out on maternity leave, I am looking forward to also having that like growth opportunity. Or it, it wasn't in those words, but it was alluding to the fact of being able to also gain that experience. And for me, I took that and said, why can't Anna lead when I am here? Does that make sense? Did I phrase that in a way that was articulate? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Why do we have to wait till I go off on maternity leave to start doing that growth that you want now? Yes. And so I looked at myself and was like, what am I doing? What environment am I creating to hold her back? And if I'm holding Anna back, then who else am I holding back? My biggest want for anybody who works here is for them to lead and be independent and make their own decisions and create their own rules and break their own rules. And it made me realize that what I was really doing was kind of creating an environment where that wasn't happening as much as I wanted it to. So that was my biggest takeaway from maternity leave, which um, kind of pushed us into a direction and Anna doing the majority of the work of taking just more ownership while I am here so that we can grow faster. I know that having a child and having a really, really rough maternity leave and going through all of that changed me as a person (laughs) forever. It really does. And I think that when I came back, I had the idea that I was going to come back in a certain way. And I was going to take the opportunity to take the reins and start making decisions. And I also think something that I always kind of struggled with was decision-making. And when you become a mom, the reality is, is you make a million decisions a day. And so I think that it was probably a combination of some of the things that, you know, went on when I was in my maternity leave and applying that to when I was coming back along with the space that you created in order for me to take the reins on the areas I was really interested in and really passionate about. I think that culmination of things, it naturally started happening pretty rapidly when I got back. Mm -hmm. I find it quite amazing how articulate both of you are about the realities and the experiences and the being frustrated. What has your journey been like? How
how have you grown as a leader over the last 10 years? And then I'd love to repeat the question to you, Anna, too, is how have you grown as a leader since coming on to Monarch and really working to scale this business and taking over as partner? Gosh, there's like so much that goes into that. So I think just to give context or texture to my journey, I did start out just being a hardcore worker, doing everything, liking doing that until I wasn't able to do that anymore. I just got tired and burnt out. After looking and saying that I'm not going to quit, I'm not going to let go of this, I looked for help. And when I found help, I started doing the work. When I mean doing the work, I mean talking about limiting beliefs, checking assumptions, being open, being open to being called out for playing a victim, being constantly aware or trying to practice being constantly aware of how I'm showing up every day. And I think that's probably been the biggest growth point and potentially maybe because that's just what I'm focused on now. But it's understanding that if you show up in a great way, you're going to get great results from your employees and your clients and your vendors. And if you show up in a shitty way, you're going to get shitty results from your employees, your vendors, and your clients. And so I think that understanding that you have that big of an impact is actually kind of really intense to think about. But I think the cool part about it is that you have a choice. I think think the biggest way that I've evolved as a leader is almost stepping back to let other people lead. And by doing that, becoming a stronger, more insightful person myself. Hmm. I love it. So neat. Anna, what about you? I think there has been a few defining moments that I continue to point back to. One is knowing my limiting belief, which I know um, we've done some work to get to, which is if I'm not doing, I'm failing. So if I'm not actually doing the work, others will think that I'm not working or I'm not working as hard as somebody else or that I'm just failing in general. And so I think learning how to be in the business rather than do in the business, coming from being, you know, always a top performer, individual contributor to the company and realizing that my contribution to the company is so much greater when I'm helping others thrive rather than when I'm individually contributing to the company. And so understanding my limiting belief and that it's going to continue to pop up. It pops up all the time, pops up when I least expect it. And, and for me, my limiting belief of not doing, it showcases as a tightness in my chest. And it's very prevalent. And then at that moment, I check in with myself and I say, where am I coming from right now? Am I helping others thrive? And if I'm not, then I'm off track. You know, one thing that I've learned to do is to not judge that, but to notice it and to celebrate that I've caught it and to move on from it. And then I also think that the notion of feedback being a gift has been really powerful for me. Sometimes feedback or critical conversations can be difficult to have or to receive, but understanding that if I don't give the feedback or if I don't receive the feedback, that I'm actually holding myself or others back. You know, that goes with, you know, me and Yvonne's relationship as well as anybody's relationship that I have as a leader of the team. What I'm really taking away from this conversation from the two of you and hearing is the importance, especially in a partnership of of communication, of being willing to talk things out, to express things, to be honest, to share frustrations, that we're not gonna get it perfect and we're not gonna get it right, but we're gonna continue trying. And just really great insights 
for other leaders to see and for you both to continue taking forward. And so I just want to say thank you. Thank you for being awesome, fun clients. And thank you for sharing openly with others your story and your experience. I think it's really valuable for others to hear. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Yeah, of course. Want to hear more great stories like this one? Subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you enjoyed this episode, leave us a review. And you can always drop us a note at openhonestanddirect.com. Cheers. Cheers.